it's been commonly celebrated every 4th of July each year, at least in the United States, and that's um, Independence Day. It's believed on that day that Thomas Jefferson and other important figures signed the Declaration of Independence, declaring that they were separate from Great Britain and that they were to be a nation unto themselves. Although the LA Times is an op-ed piece saying that maybe we are celebrating it on the wrong day, but for the right reasons. Technically, this document was signed before that. Signatures were added after that. But it was on the 4th that this thing was sent to the printers, to the press. And it's on that day that the general public read it for the first time. And it was in their consciousness for the very first time. And there were those who were all for being independent. And then there were those who were loyal to the crown. Separating on your own and going off on your own can be a scary proposition. It can be frightening when you're considering going on your own and going away from the very things that you've known or comfortable with. There's a reason for phrases like, better to go with the devil that you know than the one you don't. Because some people believe that, yeah, you can jump out of the frying pan, but you may wind up in an entire fire. So a chance is often taken with the idea of independence. And that is the theme of today's episode. Now, I recorded it on, you know, Sunday, July 2nd, right before it goes into July 3rd. So by the time I'm done with it, it'll be the 3rd. And by the time it's uploaded, and by the time everything is said and done with, it's going to be the 4th of July when the feed is updated. But I wanted to take the time out now to kind of you know, fly solo today and go over some things that, frankly, you know, celebrate the idea of kind of walking away or doing something on your own. And by that, I don't necessarily mean, oh, you can't cooperate with others, but the idea of being able to do your own thing to be a little bit different because you have different ideas and a different vision and what have you. Those very ideas, though risky, can be extremely rewarding in the end. So with that in mind, we're going to celebrate the idea, the concept of independence throughout today's episode. So we're going to start this off. Um, I'm, I'm going to be switching the, this back and forth between windows here because, uh, truth be told, I am on a one-monitor setup at the moment, and my system's doing, you know, driving the display through HDMI, and I don't fully understand I need to catch up on some parts of it, like mini display port, etc. But the the perspective on the real date of American independence, I'm going to le- put in the show notes. So in the Unix portion of, of the show, um, as many of you know, I run Ubuntu Mate Edition, mainly because I want something that's 
that keeps the traditional desktop paradigm with virtual workspaces so that I can multitask a little bit easier. And I, I like dealing with menus. Um, that's my preference. And I like the top and bottom bars, panels, so to speak. So it all comes in handy. Um, I'm running the long-term release, long-term service edition, LTS of Ubuntu, of Ubuntu Mate Edition 1604. Mainly because I want to be, you know, in that stable kind of thing until the next LTS release comes out. That way I don't jump to a new release only to run into some nasty surprises later. So the one interesting thing, and as you know, people are walking away from from Unity now because uh, Canonical, Mark Shuttleworth, made the decision to go back to GNOME 3. And and the reason for that is really simple because they're doing fighting an uphill battle with Unity 8 and they didn't have the manpower to do this on their own. And of course, a lot of people are mad at Canonical, or rather those who were, well, some of them had you know valid concerns. Others, well, let's face it, a lot of people in a lot of circles just want something to complain about. But anyway, um, Ubuntu Mate Edition that in the 17 series, they've managed to port everything to GTK3. Um, at some point, X.org, which is the which is what you know drives the you know windowing environment. It needs to be replaced at some point because Wayland, you know, Wayland as a protocol is here and it's a new way of doing things in terms of of the GUI, of the interface. And so Martin Wimpress, who's at the helm of Ubuntu Mate Edition, um, he's been exploring the possibility of adapting the compositing portion of Mir in order to support Wayland. Uh, Wayland's the protocol, it's the compositor that that utilizes that protocol to you know, work the interface to where you see everything on the screen, right? So what happens is, you know, small, small team for Ubuntu Mate Edition, they recognize that X.org is going to eventually go bye-bye. Um, they see they see it down the road, and they want to continue the Mate project as well. So they figure adapting portions of Mir, which Mir is apparently still going to be a thing, um, just not on the desktop at the moment. It's going to be mainly an IoT devices and what have you, because IoT is probably going to be a quite a boon for Canonical, regardless of what other people believe. Um, I disagree with the notion that they're stretching themselves too far with IoT. No, they're not. If it weren't for exploring mobile and IoT, we wouldn't have the Snap packaging type of thing. We wouldn't have Ubuntu Snaps which, you know, in a sense is a way of having kind of universal applications to where you're running this only for, you know, you're just getting one particular application with any isolated dependencies thrown in to where you don't have to worry about it for that particular app remaining up to date. And it's enough and snap Snap packages are used in IoT core of Ubuntu, you know, snappy IoT core. Um, so, and that which makes sense the way they're doing it. But anyway, Mir is apparently still being used in that, and Mate does not have a compositor of its own. 
and which Wayland requires, there's Mutter and Gnome, and there's Kwen and KDE, but the Matei edition doesn't have its own, and using certain other things is not a possibility at this point. Um, I'll link. I'm going to link to particular posts talking about this from Google Plus in the show notes as well. Um, Ike Doherty from the Solus Project even chimed in and kind of stood up for uh, Martin Wimpress in regards to why use Mirror. They're not using all of Mirror. They're just using the part that draws the windows and things like that. Um, and the reason why the X window system has to get replaced at some point is because the way that X window system works is it's client you know, server-based, right? Sort of like a network, which is exactly how it operates. Meaning you can do some cool stuff like remote into a system and run a graphical interface remotely but that also means a ton of security holes. You have to do a bunch of workarounds just to get 3D effects on a desktop. And the code base is huge, and it's kind of a mess. And they came to the conclusion that they're going to need to do something new. Um, so th for that reason, uh, they're looking at that, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the results of that are. Um, I currently run Matei Edition on the Meerkat that I have, that I lovingly call Cupid. And I also am running it on a Lenovo IdeaPad 100 series. Uh, it's one that doesn't have a touch screen. It currently works pretty well. The only major issue that I've run into so far is the webcam on that machine comes on until I open up Cheese, wait for a few mo moments for the interface for that app to load, close the app, and the webcam shuts off. So I probably won't use the webcam on that particular system. I think it works in the web browser. It picks it up. But other applications, for some reason, can't use it. So, but that's okay. I, I'm not too particularly uh, worried about it. But uh, officially, I, I now have a desktop, which is running, like, right below my hand that I'm using to record the show with. And... I have a portable with an up-to-date office suite on it, too, to where if I'm somewhere else and I need to do up something to where I don't need internet access to compose something, put it something together, I can do that. Um, all summer, I've been doing the whole mobile and lower-powered desktop and, and, you know, my roommate's been thankful for the electricity that it has saved. Um, I've been doing primarily that. Like, I, I run this desktop all day, but that's the only system that I have running because it's summer. The air conditioning doesn't reach as well in this area as it does downstairs, and at the end of it all, it uses less electricity anyway, so that's a win-win. And so that's you know kind of where I'm at on that. And I've been fairly happy with Matei Edition so far, and when I get the chance and get the funding, which that won't happen for a long time, I'll probably pick up a a portable system from System76 because I've been real pleased with the Meerkat so far. Um, it's done everything I've needed it to do and more. But anyway, they have been doing some interesting things as well. Um, they're doing an Ubuntu-based system called OS called Pop OS. And 
the reason why they're doing that is many fold. It's mainly so they have a little bit more leeway in what they can and cannot do. And they dub it as a powerful operating system just for creators. And the, the tagline is beautiful, modern, powerful. And this is directly from their web page. Pop OS is designed for people who use their computer to create, whether it's complicated, professional-grade software and products, sophisticated 3D models, computer science and academia, or makers working on their latest invention. The Pop user interface stays out of the way while offering extensive customization to perfect your workflow. Built on Ubuntu, you have access to vast repositories of open-source software and development tools. Pop OS's first release is October 19th, 2017, but hit the button and you can check out Pop OS Alpha now. And it has the link of Get Poppin'. And, and they have a giant ISO for download. Um, only question is, why do this? Oh, cool. And there's even... There's even a little Easter egg at the bottom where you click something and you click the Pop OS icon and then you click the future, make it happen, Captain. Captain. And and on the Reddit page. Um, on the Reddit page, they ask why, and more or less, it's so that they have more flexibility. And I, you know, I I need to prevent myself from getting distracted, so I need to close this tab now. <laughs> but um, the you know the Ubuntu contributor license agreement has been seen as controversial, and whenever you make kind of an image, you know, there's some. From what I understand, there's a you know requirement to have Canonical's blessing in a sense before just putting an image out there with the name Ubuntu on it because they own the trademark to Ubuntu. Um, so I guess Pop OS, they're wanting to do their own thing and try something different. And I, I ran this in a virtual machine um, just to see what it's like and pop os that the interface in question it's based on it's gnome 3 basically it's gnome gnome shell um i'm assuming they're gonna do some customization to it and you know they're they're basically trying to add some improvements on top of everything and then go from there and I imagine that if it doesn't work out for them, um, what'll happen, possibly happen, is stuff gets just moved upstream or theming just lives on. And I looked at the theming. It looks beautiful. Um, I was, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. I liked what I saw. But anyway, um, I looked at this and I'm like, cool, cool. This works. And that, that those relevant links will be in the show notes as well. And moving from one geeky thing to another, I apologize for kind of the abruptness about it, but we got to get into our overlooked pop culture section. And I want to start this portion of the show by saying that, we haven't really talked about overlooked pop culture in a long time. And I wanted to briefly summarize what that's about. Overlooked pop culture is anything that has a dedicated following, but doesn't necessarily have, you know, good coverage in mainstream type outlets like your nightly T 
TV news broadcast or front page of the newspaper. And even when there is coverage, it's misunderstood or even misrepresented to where they get things wrong because they don't quite understand what's going on with these things. And it can be anything from conspiracy theories based entertainment to pro wrestling, anime, even comic books. That's, you know, it's more mainstream to a point, but not quite mainstream. And I'll expand upon that in future episodes. But anyway, um, as of, you know, yesterday, technically now, since we bled into Monday, as of recording this, um, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling TNA as a brand is now gone. It's now Global Force Wrestling because Anthem required the company that Jeff Jarrett started um, in order to try to compete with TNA and you know create another wrestling company. And 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 some of the coverage that I've seen, they've gotten a few things. They've gotten one major thing wrong. Um, they don't cover. They didn't really cover the fact that it was Jeff and Jerry Jarrett that started total nonstop action wrestling and kind of blended it with the national wrestling Alliance because they didn't have any, I guess, any other way of, you know, building a championship of their own. So better to go with, with something that's established or a little bit more established like the NWA world heavyweight championship belts, you know, through licensing and what have you. But at the same time, when they got a little bit bigger, they were eventually able to create their own heavyweight championship, their own tag team, their own tag team division. They refer to the women's division as the knockouts division, which was a clever, clever branding move on their part. And they were doing just fine until... Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff came along. Now, some of their ideas probably would have worked going head to head, going Monday night, you know, competing with Monday Night Raw, if they would have had the resources to do that. The problem is they didn't. And eventually, eventually they they went by the wayside. And then from there, um, some bad decisions were made. Jeff Jarrett became frustrated, and he eventually left and started GFW. And GFW could not get a TV deal to save their life. So in order to finance the company, Jeff Jarrett tried going through you know, multi-level marketing-type businesses just to fund his enterprise. And it didn't, you know, I'm assuming it didn't quite pan out. He's probably he was probably a good salesman, but he's probably a better businessman in terms of pro wrestling than other venues. So long story short, Anthem becomes the owner of TNA. They rebrand to Impact Wrestling, and the two brands merge together to where it's now GFW. And Global Force Wrestling, in my opinion, is a little bit more marketable nowadays than TNA. Because it stands for something other than total nonstop action. Um, there's other implications where in other markets they may not be as willing to buy into the product due to being offended or something like that. And Global Force, it sounds like a compelling name. And with you know the merging of all the titles at Slammiversary, that basically comes to a head and we now have something that could eventually become compelling. Um, In my opinion, they need to avoid doing live touring so much or live TV type touring, build up the resources they have and work with what they have partner strategically with other organizations. Sounds like they've been doing that 
And when they build up enough resources, then they can slowly start going in certain venues and making it special in the whole nine yards. Because truth be told, TNA was huge in Europe. They had a, a big fan base in Europe. Now what do we see WWE doing? They're, they've been expanding globally as well. They, they had Jinder Mahal as the WWE champion, whereas, you know, they had an entire, whereas, you know, now GFW, they were touring in India. So the race is on to, to you know, compete and everything else. But another thing that they need to do is they need to do what Walmart has done with retail. And a lot of people don't, a lot of people see Walmart as this giant behemoth today. And in a sense, they are. And it's just intimidating looking at them. My goodness, they're so huge. And they can push a lot of people out of business. But here's the thing. There was a method to the madness to get to that point. They didn't go after their competition right away in their earlier years because they knew Sam Walton knew that his company would get eaten alive by him. They weren't ready yet. The mistake that Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan made creatively, and Dixie Carter as well, is that they were trying to go after the big competition before they were ready. World Championship Wrestling had the ability to compete with the, with what was known then as the World Wrestling Federation because they had enough resources to acquire enough talent that were well-known, and they were able to blend a few other things in the product to where they could compete. They had the resources behind it, at least for a while. Now, were they ready to do that? I don't know. Did they jump after, you know, what was then known as the World Wrestling Federation right off the bat when Bischoff took over in 94? No. They slowly built to the point where Hulk Hogan signed and other stars signed, and all of a sudden, people were like, oh my goodness, things were getting interesting. And that forced the other company to change their tactics to compete. Now, with what's happening today, GFW probably needs to do the same. They need to, and they need to be very careful and more efficient about it, too. They need to build up resources, build profitability by providing a high quality product that fans can enjoy and their on-demand service, it needs to be, if they have one, it needs to be compelling too. A WWE network subscription costs 10 bucks a month, basically. Just about $10 when you round up the penny. Truth be told, they need to have a similar pricing model where people aren't going to be interested having it at about five bucks and having contests in which you're giving away a free account for like, say a year, having trials that last 60 days instead of 30 refer five friends and get, you know, or refer a friend and get an extra 30 days up to five a year, something like that and get more people watching and have it and basically selling it to the point where people want to keep watching and they, they pull out their wallet and put in their credit card info, <laughs> those sorts of things, but it's gotta be compelling and hopefully, 
that's what's going to happen in the near future is they do exactly that. And for goodness sakes, make each Impact episode, full episode available on a YouTube channel. And just have people pay, like, say, 99 cents just to view it. I guarantee you, if you do that, you'll you'll bring in a little extra money. But hopefully it you know turns out for the best. But again, build up your resources slowly. Don't go after WWE right away. Don't go after bigger companies you know around the world right away. Keep working on building a product up and making it the best product it can be. And make it something that's compelling, that doesn't insult the fans' intelligence. And you know, make make it something where you have a good mixture of storylines. And you know, borrowing from Jim Cornette's philosophy of suspending disbelief while blending modern era concepts as well. A good variety. Um Doing that will go a long way, in my opinion, in building an independent wrestling company up and taking an existing company, rebranding it, and you know, keeping it going um, also indicates the ability to adapt in order to survive. And that's going to be for a compelling product. Hey, they've been battered, they've been bruised, but they're still here. And combining the rosters from both companies into one company is going to create one hell of a compelling product again. Um, That is my hope, and I'll definitely be keeping an eye on them. And oh, for goodness sakes, and this has been a pet peeve of mine with WWE Network, for whatever reason... They don't want their network working on people's machines that happen to run a Linux-based operating system. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. They seriously could be using HTML5 with Widevine and be okay. But they don't adapt it. It's like, it's like they don't want paying customers. See, this makes zero sense. And yeah, I could pull out my tablet and watch it. I could pull out something, invest in a Chromecast, whatever. But the fact is, I shouldn't have to. I should be able to use it on existing hardware because I'm I'm getting away with from running Windows on any of my machines. This machine behind me currently has Windows 10 on it, but I haven't ran it in several days. I plan on backing up that information that's on there to an external hard drive and either wiping it, reinstalling it, and selling that system to somebody else, or just put a Ubuntu Mate Edition on it and be done with it. I haven't decided yet, but I'll cross that bridge when I get there. In the meantime... If they're smart, Anthem will set things up to where impact pay-per-views can be viewed on any device, no matter the operating system, so that they can have 100% of the market to tap into, not just a portion, even if it's a majority portion. By doing that, they'll have more opportunity to grow. So that's all the pro wrestling stuff I'll be talking about at the moment. Oh, by the way, Alberto El Patron unified the two belts. So uh, there you have it. We'll see what happens with Um, Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe at Great Balls of Fire. And don't be surprised if uh, that extends beyond that pay-per-view event. 
But speaking of overlooked pop culture, one of the things that, you know, that I intend to talk about, whether on the website, on the podcast, through YouTube, as just standalone videos and what have you, is video games. Um, I remember growing up, the primary console I remember is the is the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, the Super Mario Brothers series, um, Castlevania, Bases Loaded, um, even Tengen games that like Gauntlet and and I think a baseball game of sorts. I can't remember all or even I don't remember their version of Tetris, but at the end of the day, the very system that came before the NES became popular in the eighties and helped video games make a comeback was the Atari 2600. Very popular system, very varied amount of games and what have you. And companies like Atari kind of started going downhill after the video game market became oversaturated. And I I think that, you know, at times recently it's kind of happened again. But the good news is that independent developers have an opportunity to come up with new concepts to where people can explore a little bit more. They can try their hand at developing a game. They can put it up on steam. They can create mobile games for, you know, Android devices and what have you. And they can kind of, you know, strike it on their own. That's what happened with World of Goo is they successfully were able to crowdfund their development. And they were able to, you know, port to all the major platforms. Anywho, what we have is more of a comeback story. And it was and, and this is an American based kind of thing because Atari was more of an American based company. Um, and you know, they have different owners now and, and everything else. And Atari continued to exist by licensing out, you know, a lot of the popular video game type stuff they owned like Pac-Man, what have you, and a lot of other games, space invaders, very popular and what wound up happening as of late is you know you you've seen like the nes classic and now you have the snes classic well turns out atari itself may be returning to the hardware business with their own console called the atari box and it's going to be based on pc hardware which makes sense that's less stuff they have to create themselves and if it's the right combination of hardware they could bring all kinds of classics back or even innovate and create new classics so on ataribox.com you can sign up to be updated on this it'll be very interesting to see where they go with it. Um, And I think I will kind of end this episode today. It was just me being solo. So there's no back and forth between me and a co-host. And in the future, I'm going to try getting more co-hosts involved. It's been a while. Um, We have all had different schedules and what have you. And and I'll see what I can do. Um, one thing I want to do is interview guests down the road. And we'll see what happens with that. Um, but I will end this episode with kind of some unsolicited advice. Because 
you know, I, I'm kind of everywhere on Facebook personally, you know, not just my brand account, but privately I'm every kind of everywhere on Facebook. And a question in one group I seen pop up is I'm going to start a podcast. Any advice? And I do have some limited advice. Concise advice. One, know what your show is going to be about. Because you can go off the walls, totally random, but you have to be the right person in order to do that. And people like, say, Dick Masterson, whether you like him or not, he's got the personality to where he can go from one thing to, the, to another and captivate your attention. If you don't have his personality, pick something that you want to talk about. Pick a subject matter that you really are into. Mine's more of a niche where I can cover kind of a variety of subtopics within the two primary things that I cover, which I won't entirely get into today. If you like pro wrestling, talk about pro wrestling. If you like free and open source software, Linux, whatever, talk about that. If you like talking about you know firearms, talk about that. If you like talking about world peace or politics or something, you know, pick something that you're very knowledgeable in or you really are fascinated with and want to learn more and talk about that. Know what you want to talk about and discuss. Number one. Number two, don't go all out in equipment and hosting right away. You don't need to do that. I was able to start this podcast with Stephen Kelly by going to Walmart to their clearance section, finding two desktop mics, an audio splitter, inside of a car adapter type kit, the audio splitter being the one that's mainly for plugging two headphones into one jack. You can actually plug two microphones into, into those jacks and put it in the input and it works actually, believe it or not. Um, you know, start out with simple equipment, unless you already have really good equipment. But if you don't, don't spend too much starting out with because you're going to find out why in a moment. I started out with two microphones and a headphone splitter plugged into the input port on a computer. The programs that we used, no matter what operating system we were on, Audacity for recording audio and a program called the Levelator. Yeah, you can use Audacity to do the same thing that Levelator does. The Levelator saves you a little bit of time. And yes, for those of you who run Linux, the Levelator, the Windows version, that's the last version that they put out. It's a few years old, but it does work under Wine. Um, don't try to use the Ubuntu edition of it. It's They never maintained it. Go with the one that's the Windows edition under Wine, and you'll be fine. Um, when you record, you, the reason why I say those two programs are mainly the ones you need is because when you record with Audacity, you know, you keep your equipment simple, use your software correctly. In Audacity, record at stereo CD quality. Keep all audio at that same quality level. The final product, when you export to MP3, can be the standard bitrate and what have you for podcast publishing but you're going to want everything at CD quality. So it's easier to edit. Um, and it reduces clicking and popping basic and other distortions. 
when you do record a show, whatever topic, whatever guest you have, always, if you record through Audacity, leave five seconds of silence. Don't say anything. Do your noise removal through Audacity, and there are tutorials on that. Export it to Wave. Import the Wave into the Levelator. The Levelator will level all voices from all microphones to where you can hear everybody clearly. Import it back into Audacity. Add your transitions. Add your other stuff export it to mp3 that's if you don't interview people through say google hangouts google hangouts always has good quality audio um if you do use hangouts this headset that i'm wearing right now does okay audio but you don't have to overdo it on equipment you don't have to overdo it on hosting hell you could if you really wanted to, you could use a combination of buying a domain name from a registrar that's nice and cheap. One-in-one -one is competitively priced. You can also use Google Domains. Combine that with hosting from, say, DigitalOcean, and their cheapest rigs are like 5 bucks a month with generous bandwidth. I'm also implying that if you do do a podcast, consider hosting the files yourself. Because if you don't, that could mean that your website for your podcast may not be ranked as high if you use, say, DigitalOcean to host a tiny little website with, you know, with a podcast generation solution like podcast generator they're downloading through your website they've got generous bandwidth their their lowest tier allows one terabyte of transfer a month that's a good starting point host the files yourself because when people yeah it's a pain in the ass at times but if people access your files on your website your website's ranking is going to get go up because your website's going to get more hits. And finally, three, when you figure out the first two, just focus on the content. If it requires a good amount of research for each episode, do the research necessary for each episode. You can wing it sometimes, and if you go back to other episodes, you can tell that we've winged a lot of it as of late and I'm trying to get back to where a little bit more research is done for future episodes and everything else. But for the first few, for the first several episodes, set it up to where you have it consistently on one day and you can pick any day of the week that you want and just have it updated have your podcast feed updated on that day record several episodes at once on one day just do like th three to five maybe but make them about 30 minutes limit it to like around half an hour each it'll do two things one you're going to crank out some episodes faster two you're going to establish yourself and three doing things ahead of time like that you're going to be able to establish a rapport with your audience. And when you're establishing rapport with your audience, don't be as worried about getting feedback from them right away. Get yourself out there a little bit first. And then they will, trust me, they will start coming to you um, if they really like what you're talking about. But don't start out with a Patreon. Don't start out with, hey, I want money for this podcast. It is really inexpensive to start a podcast. Um, it didn't cost me a whole lot at all. And I already had existing hosting infrastructure available anyway. 
but keep it simple. Don't blow too much money to start out with. You can always add better equipment as you build an audience and your show grows. Um, that's you know something that I've learned. This headset I happen to already have, but I wasn't using it. Um, I moved away and co-hosts moved to other places. So we went to Google Hangouts just to, you know, be able to do a show together. And plus it came in handy. But also be flexible. Don't rely on just one or two tools. Research others and use them as you see fit, especially if it really works for you. But all in all, keep it simple. Know what you want to talk about. Don't, don't, don't blow entire budgets on software, hardware, etc. Um, if it's something that makes money for you in the long run, great. Then you can improve your equipment and and what have you. But focus on your content. That means have the best interviews where you ask the best questions. <coughs> Excuse me. Have the, have the most in-depth conversations about things that you're passionate about. And enjoy what you're talking about. Otherwise, why do it? Because, believe you me, when you see net, you know, independent networks pop up, And you listen to them, whether they're good, bad, or awful, ask yourself, are they enjoying what they're doing? And I know there are some people who will bash Maddox, and I understand why. But I, I peek at his fan page and notice there are different guests from different walks of life on there. If your show is a general purpose kind of show, make sure the variety of interviews is diverse enough to keep an audience's attention. If you have the same guests on or same guests from the same type of genres on over and over and over again, it's going to get boring too. But keep it simple, plan it out a little bit, and then go from there. Um, but that's, that's something for a future episode. Anyway, I will end this show now. Uh, for those of you who are celebrating Independence Day in the United States, please be safe. Um, we want you to be able to enjoy fireworks if that's your sort of thing, but please don't go to the hospital doing it. Um, for those of you in Colorado who want to shoot off fireworks, uh, please keep in mind the environment you're in and the fact that stuff is a little bit more flammable where you're at. Um, which is why why it's kind of illegal to shoot fireworks in certain areas. Um, I understand wanting to celebrate freedom, but do it smart. Entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. I will see you all next week. Take care.